Buzzard writes in Julio Jones and Antonio Brown talk. What have you done with my underworld pod? I get it. This is your go-to podcast for deep sleepers. We talk about the players that no one else is talking about. Why? Because talking about the players that are always in the top 10 isn't interesting. We know Antonio Brown is good. We know Julio Jones is good. We know Odell Beckham Jr. is good. And, and I get it. I get your frustration. I am also frustrated. Why? Because it's December. And guess what happens in December? There are no more sleepers. The sleepers are gone. The season's almost over. How many sleepers do you think are left in December? How many sleepers are left to be awoke in December? Not many. So we're left to talk about Julio Jones and Antonio Brown. The important thing is we talk about players and phenomenon that are interesting. And I take pride in finding an interesting and unique way to talk about Julio Jones and Antonio Brown. That's my number one goal on this show, to discuss interesting topics, not necessarily to only focus on the unheralded deep sleeper players. That's not the goal of the show. It's not the Roto Sleeper Pod. Although I would listen to that podcast. This is underground radio, the stuff no one else is talking about, we talk about. But it's also December. And in December, you're going to get Julio Jones talk. I have self-awareness about the issue. It's self-evident that December is the most challenging month to create fantasy football content. It is. For me, it is. Most definitely. That's why we're coming strong with the guests in December. We started the month off with Graham Barfield from Fantasy Guru and Roto World, one of my go-to fantasy writers. This week, the Brad Evans from Yahoo. Next week, Christopher Harris from Harris Football. The week after that, probably Maurice Jones-Drew. That's not confirmed. And then as we head into week 17, the only heavy DFS talk show of the year, Millionaire Maker winner, Drew Dinkmeyer. That's the guest roster for December. I know it's a challenge and I'm trying. So let's segue seamlessly to talk about David Johnson. The fantasy community has a collective hive mind. We've talked about this before. Once an idea has been sparked, the writers start to buzz about it and you start to read a lot of content on the subject. And multiple writers recently had an epiphany that David Johnson's not just hashtag good at football. He's historically good. He looks like one of the greats of all time, and it's time to start putting his 2016 season in context. So you read this from Rich Rebar at Lord Reeves on Twitter. Players with 1,000 rushing yards and 700 receiving yards through 12 games in a season. Here's the list. David Johnson, 2016, Marshall Falk, 1998, end of list. Justin Woodruff, at WoodJustRuff on Twitter. David Johnson needs to average a mere 74 receiving yards per game, which is very doable for him, to become the third running back in NFL history to have 1,000 rushing yards and 1,000 receiving yards in a season. Didn't have to specify running back there. Just the third player in NFL history to accomplish that because no wide receiver has ever rushed for a thousand yards. Wow. You see what we're doing here? We made Julio Jones interesting in the last episode and now I'm making David Johnson interesting for the moment. But this is just the tip of the iceberg. 
the let's put David Johnson in historical context tweets have just begun. A week from now, you'll be sick of reading about how David Johnson's the best running back since Marshall Falk or LaDainian Tomlinson. These topics have a one-week shelf life, and then it's get out of my face with these stale stats. Yeah, 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 David Johnson's one of the best of all time. Yeah, 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 yada, 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 get out of my face. I'm so over David Johnson. Ugh. No surprise, David Johnson has the highest value over stream in the playerprofiler.com database. David Johnson's value over stream, the number of fantasy points per game that he is scoring on average above the most likely replacement on the waiver wire, not on the bench, on the waiver wire. That's the difference between value over stream and value over replacement. David Johnson's value over stream on playerprofiler.com is plus 18.40. What? Yes, 18.4. That was fun. Let me try that again. Plus 18.4. And that's the best value over stream I've ever seen for any player since we launched Player Profiler. But a couple players aren't far behind. Le'Veon Bell plus 15.8. Ezekiel Elliott plus 13.6. In fact, the top six players overall across all positions in our value over stream metric, they're all running backs. Johnson, Bell, Elliott, Gordon, DeMarco Murray, LaShawn McCoy. All running back. Uh-oh. It's time to shoot off the warning flare. Friends of Zero RB Theory will be called upon. Brothers in arms, we must unite to defend Zero RB this offseason. Because the signs we're seeing, like the top six players in value over stream, indicates that war is coming. Battle lines are being drawn and shots have already been fired on Twitter. Now we had a mean buzzard right in earlier, mocking my Julio Jones take, which was understandable. But we also have the nice buzzards. We have the mean buzzards, we have the nice buzzards. The nice buzzards drop these tweets on my doorstep and say, hey, Hey, Podfather, might want to look at this tweet. So I pick it up and I read it. It's from Drew Loftus, a fantasy writer for the New York Post. I didn't know the New York Post had fantasy writers. So this caught me by surprise. The tweet reads, anybody defending zero RB is someone who doesn't know enough to argue. Ooh, see, this is it. See, it's happening. Shots fired from Drew Loftus. Now, I don't know who Drew Loftus is. Through this tweet, I was introduced to a person named Drew Loftus who I did not know existed. My only exposure to the New York Post's fantasy coverage is through the SiriusXM show Roto Experts in the Morning. They have a regular segment where they break down the Friday start-sit column in the New York Post and they relentlessly mock the analysis. So that's my only exposure to the New York Post's fantasy coverage up to this point. But now we know there's a person out there named Drew Loftus who doesn't know what the f*** he's talking about. But we can all agree, Zero RB has had a bad year. 2013, 2014, 2015, many of the teams that won high-stakes championships leveraged Zero RB. Not so this year. So the question is, did we have a string of three straight outlier seasons, or are we currently in an outlier season 2016? And even if 2016 is an outlier season, that doesn't mean you can't win with Zero RB. I'm in the Friends of Roto World League, and I have the best record. 
and a first round bye. And the first running back I selected was Duke Johnson. My current running back core is Thomas Rawls, Tevin Coleman, Duke Johnson, Devontae Booker, and Kenneth Dixon. That's my running back core, and I'm 9 and 4. This is the Friends of Roto World League with Rich Rebar and JJ Zacharyson and CD Carter and Evan Silva and Davis Maddock and Matt Harmon and Pat Doherty and Nick Menzio and Raymond Sutherland and Mike Clay. So it's very possible to have success with zero RB this year. I didn't even draft the right running backs. I didn't draft Melvin Gordon. I didn't draft Jordan Howard. I didn't draft Spencer Ware. I didn't draft LeGarrette Blunt. I didn't draft Theo Riddick in that league. Frankly, I don't know what the hell I was thinking. In every league except that one, I got either LeGarrette Blunt or Theo Riddick. I'm not sure what the hell happened. Thank God someone dropped Thomas Rawls. But there will be plenty of zero RB rosters that win championships this year featuring Melvin Gordon and Jordan Howard. But because David Johnson and DeMarco Murray and Ezekiel Elliott and Le'Veon Bell are crushing all other players in value over stream, those will be the featured players on most championship rosters this year. And yet only two of those running backs were drafted in the first round, David Johnson and Ezekiel Elliott. Le'Veon Bell was drafted in the second and third round after his suspension. DeMarco Murray was a fourth round pick. Plenty of running backs were landmines in the early rounds this year. It's just that the running backs that hit, hit in such spectacular fashion that they blotted out the sun with fantasy points. And a lot of the zero RB running backs we were counting on, like Amir Abdullah and Charles Sims, got hurt. And a lot of the wide receivers at zero RB rosters were relying on, A.J. Green, Keenan Allen, Allen Robinson, Brandon Marshall, have underperformed their ADP because they either got hurt or their quarterback play collapsed. So now we come back to the question, was this an anomaly year for both the running back and the wide receiver position? Or is this the new norm? The answer is a little bit of both. We were talking about the running back renaissance that players like Melvin Gordon and David Johnson were ushering in starting in 2015. That 2015 running back class was special. And then in this last running back class, we had Ezekiel Elliott, one of the special talents in the league at this moment. And that class also had Jordan Howard and Derrick Henry is coming. So there is an influx of talent at the running back position and the LaShawn McCoys and the DeMarco Murrays are in the waning years of their careers, still RB1s in fantasy, however. So it's a confluence of factors. We are in the midst of a running back renaissance. We have the maximum number of running backs that can produce RB1 numbers at this particular moment in time. And we suffered through an inordinate number of early round wide receiver busts in 2016. And one thing's not going to change as we head into 2017. The running back position is only going to become more talented. These young star running backs will be more seasoned as the years progress and will be experiencing another influx of talent from the college ranks. Leonard Fournette, Dalvin Cook, Samaje Pirine. It's a hard name to say and Christian McCaffrey, and less talked about backs that could be even more talented than those players, like Royce Freeman. So the running back position is only going to become more dynamic over the next couple years. But the fundamentals of zero RB aren't changing. And this historical year for running backs in fantasy football will completely change 2017's draft dynamic. Allen Robinson should not have been drafted in the first round. Brandon Marshall should not have been drafted in the second round, but we were forced to because zero RB became the en vogue draft concept for 2016. This overall running back renaissance and the historical year that Ezekiel Elliott and David Johnson are having, on the one hand, it's annoying because 
those with microphones like me are going to have to go to a war in the off season. It'll be a great content creation device, but it's also going to be frustrating for me. But that frustration is going to be offset by the fact that my fantasy drafts will be much easier to execute in 2017. Because those that were implementing zero RB because they thought it was the cool new thing will quickly shift away back to robust running back. And the true believers that understand the fundamental tenets of the strategy will continue to implement zero RB and will be rewarded with a war chest of elite wide receiver talent in rounds one through four or five. That's exciting. And we may look back on 2016 a year from now and think, oh, wow, 2016 was a total anomaly. Most of the running backs that were drafted in the early rounds in 2017 were either busts or got hurt. And those with the conviction to continue to leverage zero RB to build their fantasy teams in 2017 will roll on to championships. That's the idea. And we'll ask Brad Evans for his thoughts on Zero RB and what he believes will be the in vogue draft strategies for 2017. And I get it. Maybe you implemented Zero RB. And like me, not only did you pick the wrong running backs, you also picked the wrong receivers and you missed the playoffs. Fortunately for you, we have no halftime. Go to your favorite player's player page on playerprofiler.com. Whoa! That was a tongue twister. I Don't ever ask me to say that line or that way again. Woo! Go to that player page, click play Odell Beckham Jr. on no halftime, and set up a prop bet challenge with your friends. You could have won money last week by projecting Odell Beckham Jr. to score more fantasy points than Julio Jones. That's the beauty of no halftime. Once your redraft season is over, it continues through the end of the season on no halftime. So download the app, and when you get started, enter the promo code PLAYER100 for a player profiler deposit bonus. You're welcome. Now let's go talk to Brad Evans from Yahoo. Follow him at Yahoo Noise on Twitter. Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio program, Brad Evans. The Yahoo Noise himself is on the Underworld program. Brad Evans, talk to me. Hola! I'm already drunk because it's Tequila Thursday, and I've been drinking since 8 a.m. Uh, I had a bowl of Wheaties, and instead of milk, I just poured some Mexican love juice on top of it. It was delicious. Mexican love juice. I'm in love with this show already. Thursday, Tequila Thursday with Brad Evans. That's what we're bringing you on Roto Underworld Radio, and we're going to get right into it. Colin Kaepernick, the guy that drove you to drink last week, he's still starting. And before last week, he was posting top five quarterback finish after top five quarterback finish. So is this a bounce back week for Colin Kaepernick, Brad Evans? Well, let's see. I am CEO of Team Huevos, as you know. And uh, <laughs> speaking in that tenor, uh, I would say that uh, Colin Kaepernick is somebody that you can trust in a 12-team league. However, there are some reservations that I have. I think the hook could be extraordinarily quick if things go awry in a hurry. But they're playing the Jets. They're at home, and the Jets, you know, the Jets are making that cross-continental flight. The Jets are completely checked out defensively. I mean, we obviously saw that uh, Monday night against Indianapolis Colts. Uh, Bryce Petty at the helm on the other side uh, of the sideline there. So, you know, could Kaepernick bounce back and get you – 
220, a touchdown, 50 rushing, maybe a rushing touchdown, a turnover probably mixed in there as well. Absolutely. I mean, the Jets giving up close to uh, 276 pass yards per game, uh, almost uh, two airstrikes per game to boot. So, again, if you want to clack at a clack, roll the dice as a gambling man or woman, then by all means, get Kaepernick in your lineup. Uh, but, you know, it depends upon what your alternatives, what your options are. But I-, I could definitely see a borderline top 12 effort. Fantasy gamers are fickle. One bad game from a non-established player, and Colin Kaepernick's far from an established stud option, then we, we walk away. It's just so quick to pull the plug on players that are helping you win matchups. And that's what Colin Kaepernick's been doing week after week. And he had a horrible game. Horrible games happen. They happen to everyone. So you just play him unless you have a Kirk Cousins or an Aaron Rodgers or a Drew Brees type player on your team. You play Colin Kaepernick this week because he has the matchup. He has the cheat code already. When you enter the Konami code. Oh, Contra. Yeah, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, A, B, A, B, select, start, something like that. Yes, that's what Colin Kaepernick is because in leagues that count a touchdown, only four points, you need your quarterbacks to run for yards if they're not going to be Drew Brees or Aaron Rodgers. And that's what Colin Kaepernick's been doing this year better than any other quarterback. So get the cheat code in your lineup and forget last week happened. What's going to happen is you're going to have rostered Colin Kaepernick. And then what would have happened is you played him in week 13 and then you benched him in week 14 and you're going to be that schizophrenic fantasy owner that's always starting the wrong quarterback until you're bounced from the playoffs that's what can happen if you don't just close your eyes and play Colin Kaepernick and forget last week never happened but anyone can be bounced from the playoffs at any time even those with the super team rosters I remember nine years ago 2007 Brady and Moss on the same team. Uh Randy Moss, 23 touchdowns that season. Tom Brady, 50 touchdowns that season. And then what happened in week 14 of 2007? Snow game against the Jets. Tom Brady, 140 yards and zero touchdowns. Randy Moss, 79 yards, zero touchdowns. The super team was dead. So have you ever had an example where throughout the season you built up a super team and then it was wiped out in a single week in the playoffs? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's uh, that's happened to me consistently throughout my entire fantasy career. I think uh, it was Drew Brees last year, if I recall correctly. Uh, had a he had a, a bad game uh, at one point in a critical moment. I, I believe it was actually week 12. I'm looking at the game log from last year. Uh, that really royally screwed me. Now, obviously, that wasn't during the fantasy playoffs that was preceding it, but I remember it being a critical week. He had back-to-back dud efforts there. But, I mean, I've been in some situations where yeah, guys have laid enormous eggs uh, over the years with sensational matchups as well. I mean, it's just inexplicable yeah. instances. And that's the same reason that, you know, we're talking about Colin Kaepernick. He had a sensational matchup last week. I mean, everything was trending in the right direction. He had averaged, what, 25.7 fantasy points per game, his previous four contests combined. So, yes! Uh, I mean, he. I, I even went on a record, and I wrote about this in my Fantasy Flames column, entering week uh, 13, that I, I argued that no uh, quarterback had a higher floor than Colin Kaepernick. <laughs> and then he, you know, the ceiling dropped out. The sky came falling down, and he basically cratered to China 
But, uh, yeah, I mean, could he bounce back? Again, I- I'm with you there. I think it's a great contrarian play. I like him more than Ben Roethlisberger this week. Is that too wavosy for you? No, I like him the same as Ben Roethlisberger this week. I have their projection almost identical. I have him higher than Carson Palmer, Phillip Rivers, Tom Brady, Matthew Stafford. I like Colin Kaepernick this week. That's why I was asking you. We both agree, but we also have perspective. We're recalling matchups from 2007. We remember lots of bad games from our fantasy assets over the years. We're not going to get locked into this recency bias where we're benching a guy because of one bad game, no matter how spectacular the failure was. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. Uh, You know, at this time of year, when we're talking about the fantasy playoffs, it's all about two things. Number one, it's all about opportunity, right? And we know that Kaepernick clearly going to have that, uh, you know, that chance to redeem himself. Number two, it's all about the matchup. So what I always recommend to people is whitewash the name, strip away the name. We don't care about brand names. We don't care who necessarily got you the dance. We want to know who's going to be able to take the pretty girl home with you from that dance. And, you know, it could be for me a number of years ago was Ron Dane who was awful, and then he blew up uh, in December during the fantasy playoffs as a Houston Texan. Or a couple of years ago, was Matt Asiata. Last year was Tim Hightower. Uh, you know, there are guys that always emerge from the woodwork this time of year and give us Decembers to remember. And uh, you have to be willing to take chances and roll the dice instead of, you know, following the consensus line. They don't call it real-life football. It's called fantasy football, Brad. And That's right! And in fantasy football, you don't need to play good football players. Colin Kaepernick's not going to lead an NFL franchise to a Super Bowl. That's never going to happen. He had his opportunity with Jim Harbaugh. Those days are gone. He can't read defenses. He can't throw the ball accurately. And it doesn't matter because he can run for 80-yard touchdowns. And they're facing the Jets. And what do the Jets do? There's only one thing the New York Jets can do in their entirety. There's one skill that the Jets have, stopping the run. So if they're going to stop Carlos Hyde, the only option they're going to have is Colin Kaepernick. Yep, correct, Amundo. Completely agree with you. Now, on the other side of the bay is a team that looks nothing like the San Francisco 49ers. A team that's great in all phases, the Oakland Raiders. And their quarterback is elite. It's official. Derek Carr has established himself to be able to perform at a level to lead his team to a Super Bowl. Is Derek Carr the NFL's MVP, however? No, I disagree with that. Uh, Look, here's the thing. And this is the difference between fantasy and reality, right? So here's a guy that's outside the top 10 in fantasy points per game at his own position. So in fantasy terms, he's kind of like a 1995 Ford Taurus, if we want to apply a car analogy. He's a guy that, put a little gas in him, he'll get you from point A to point B. But in, in the mainstream world, the reality world, he's a luxury vehicle. He's like a, you know an exotic uh, sports car import from Italy, like a Lamborghini or something. Uh, that's how hyped he is, how pumped up he is. And here's this is, this is what ticks me off about the whole MVP thing, okay? MVP stands for what? Most Valuable Player. Unfortunately, in this day and age of the NFL, it's all about quarterback play. And I understand that you could argue in all of professional sports, quarterback is the most important position, most difficult to fill position, uh, no matter if we're talking about, uh, you know, a, a forward in hockey or a center in the NBA or a center fielder in baseball. It doesn't matter. Quarterback in cross professional sports, extremely difficult to field, especially if I'm an incompetent one. So I understand that narrative. But in terms of most valuable player, a player that if you were moved, that player from the team, would they tank 
in other words. And I think there's enough talent around Derek uh, Carr with Amari Cooper, with Michael Crabtree, with the offensive line, Latavius Murray, that if it was Matt McGloin under center, you know, they would still probably be a 500 club, maybe right. even a little bit better than that. However, if you take David Johnson oh. away from Arizona, yes, yes, they are nothing. Yes, they are nothing. Yes. He is the most valuable player in the NFL, That's period. the answer! And he won't even get a lick of consideration. That's the answer to the MVP conversation! That's right, damn it! The Ugh. answer to the question, who is the most valuable player in the NFL, it's David Johnson! Of course it's David Johnson! He's having the best year for an NFL running back since 1998 Marshall Falk. At some point, we have to give the MVP trophy to a running back. I understand that it's become a commoditized position, but it's a very valuable position nonetheless. And David Johnson is a generational talent in the midst of a historic season. You can't say that any quarterback right now is in the midst of a historic season. I just talked about a 50-touchdown season from Tom Brady. There's not going to be a 50-touchdown season in the NFL this year. What David Johnson's doing won't be replicated potentially for decades. So, yes, that is the answer. I mean, forget David Carr. Forget all the quarterbacks. The answer is David Johnson. I love that. Love that. But the, the problem is he won't get any consideration. Of course not! Because he's not a quarterback and he's not on a winning team. Yes, and that's what makes me mad. It's it's like it, Major League Baseball got it right back in the late 80s with Andre Dawson, right? He was on a last place Cubs team. He was barred on the best player in baseball, and he won the MVP because baseball writers are actually intelligent for once. NFL people are sticking the muds. Mike Trout winning the MVP over Miguel Cabrera a couple years ago. Another great example of how the baseball writers get it right where the football writers get it wrong. It's a team sport. Baseball is more of an individual sport, uh, I would argue. I think you would agree with me on that one. But football, it, it's it's a sum of all parts. Uh, and <laughs> the thing is, in Arizona, he's got no help around him. I mean, Larry Fitzgerald's having a very nice season, but he's not finding the end zone. Carson Palmer's deteriorated to a very mundane, mediocre quarterback. The offensive line is above average in terms of ratings, whether looking at player profiler or some other sites that are out there. But still, David Johnson's the heart and soul of this entire team. You remove him, this could be a two or three win team overall, period. Yeah, I think David Johnson enhances the offensive line score, no matter what advanced metrics you're looking at, because his instincts are so great. It's frustrating to have these conversations with people because when I have conversations with those that are entrenched in fantasy, they typically revolve around players like David Johnson. And when my friends from high school and college call me that aren't following fantasy football, they want to talk about David Carr. And when I pick up the phone and they want to talk about David Carr, a timer goes off in my head and I'm just thinking about how quickly I can change the conversation away from David Carr. I'm not listening to the first take shows of the world. So the amount that mainstream sports media is talking about, A, the Dallas Cowboys, and B, Derek Carr, I don't have any reference point for that because, because I'm always analyzing players through this fantasy football prism. Well, this really speaks to a larger issue among television executives, right? Television executives are living in the past. Uh, they are knuckle-draggers, uh, Neanderthals in a way, because if you look at any pregame show that's not fantasy-oriented... Mm -hmm. We must talk football in high-level terms. We can't break it down any way more because the people, they won't understand. You, Jane, me, Tarzan. It drives me nuts. 
because hitting my head on the microphone like a zombie just banging into the microphone because you know guys our age you and i are about the same age you know we are statistically driven we grew up in a fantasy era so we we don't necessarily want to be beaten over the head with you know a high level analysis we want to dive a little bit deeper to get some of those juicy nuggets so we can set our lineups on sundays or for the gambling audience out there they want any little take that they can get so they can make a bet accurately in the hopes that they're going to cash that day it's just it's it's funny how these shows over what 20 30 years now haven't evolved they haven't evolved at all it's still the same formula so you know that's that's another uh, long i mean i could spend probably two hours on that tangent the predictions they make before the show and then at the end of the season they show the stacked rank list of all of the personalities and all of their records for their predictions and it's just like what the hell is the point <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we make bad predictions all the time as well. I mean, we're, we're, it's not like we're immune from that, but we, it needs to be bro broken down to a granular level. But the thing is, if you ask any of those guys, you say, okay, uh, we got the Kansas City game coming up. Who is the third wide receiver of the Kansas City roster? They'd have no idea. They probably don't even know who the hell Tyreek Hill is. I think many sports fans are realizing, oh yeah, these guys, their pool of knowledge is pretty shallow and we now need more. I mean, we're in the information age and information is more prevalent than it ever has been and the bar is being raised on the television personalities and what they can deliver I think another example is when you compare someone like Chris Collinsworth who's clearly well studied and someone like Phil Simms who's just winging it yep. it's very obvious the dichotomy when you oh, listen God. to one broadcast versus another credit to, to Collinsworth he's really embraced advanced analytics you know with his investment in pro football focus uh, you know you have to tip your cap to him because He's a guy that's uh, it's taken on this role. He's who is very accepting of some of the the granular information that's out there, mining the data and presenting it on television. And I, I think it's great. I, I think more people need to do that. You're seeing it in other sports uh, come to fruition. I mean, it's been around baseball for a long time with sabermetrics. I also write college basketball for a living as well for Yahoo and KenPom.com, a bunch of advanced analytics yes. there. So uh, that, like Jay Billis, is using a lot of the efficiency data that's out there. And applying it to real-time action, you know, and saying, well, you know, this uh, uh, this uh, UT Arlington team, the last uh, three games, an efficiency rating of 0.75, but tonight they're lighting up the nets. It, it more, We need more of that in football, and it's starting to trickle in. It's starting to pepper in here and there, but it's like these, these old-school executives, they're given the Heisman post. So often on this stuff, I know because I've run into those brick walls with television shows I produced and taken to major media companies. And they have come back to me and said, Brad, we like the show, but we believe that fantasy cannot be successful as a standalone show. Right. And I laugh. I laugh. It should just be interwoven into their segments seamlessly. It's possible. And I think we're going to see it one day. And I also agree with you that football is the last bastion of the zombie sports mm -hmm. fan. For some reason, the evolution is slow in football compared to baseball and basketball. It's just a slower process. But luckily, we have sites like playerprofiler.com that are leading the way to try to bring advanced metrics into the football sphere. So that's good, right? Yeah, 10,000%. What you guys are doing is you're raising the IQ of the even the average fantasy fan that's already steeped in some statistical knowledge, right? So, uh, I, I mean, I appreciate and commend the work that you guys are doing and coming up with new and exciting measurements 
to uh, dissect a player's pluses and minuses. And anytime that, you, like you said, I think interwoven is the perfect word for it. If you weave it into uh, mainstream analysis with little tidbits here and there, it only makes your analysis look smarter, but it's also appealing to a wider audience that's growing. You know, well, it was exponentially now at a slower rate, but the fantasy audience is still 55 million people in North America. Yeah, and a lot of new apps every year to enhance the viewing experience whether it be something like no halftime, which facilitates prop bets between two sports fans, or all the different daily fantasy options like Yahoo Daily Fantasy, DraftKings, FanDuel, Draft. Yeah, Draft is interesting because their platform ensures that more of the winnings go to a larger percentage of the participating gamers. And on Draft, it's snake draft format, not salary cap based. Each draft only takes a few minutes to complete, and they're going on every week. It's the new way to do daily fantasy. I have draft on my phone, and a 10-person draft specifically for Roto Underworld Minions is happening at this moment. If you want to become an official minion and be invited to these kinds of events, go to playerprofiler.com forward slash podcasts and click learn more to become an official minion and you'll get a t-shirt or a hoodie in the process. And a bunch of official show minions have downloaded the draft app. Just go to the app store, search draft, and it's one of the first apps to come up. And then after you download it, enter the promo code UNDERWORLD and you'll receive a 100% bonus on your deposit. Again, search for Draft in any app store, iPhone, Android, and enter that promo code UNDERWORLD. There's so many options now, so many gaming options to enhance the experience. It should be embraced by mainstream media. It's only a matter of time, but it just, when you're in it, like you and I are in it, it just feels so slow. <laughs> it's a slog. Uh, and that's putting it mildly. Uh, there's no question about that. I wholeheartedly agree. One of the players we talked about this offseason that no one was talking about, based on his athletic measurements alone, was Cameron Meredith. That was our biggest sleeper hit of the summer. Who was your biggest sleeper hit of the summer? Uh, for me, it was Spencer Ware. Uh, I was on that bandwagon very early because the yards after contact number, you look at a lot of the secondary metrics that are out there, uh, whether your site or some other sites that are out there. I mean, they all said the same thing, that uh, because of his bulky frame, uh, a guy that gets a ton of yards after initial contact, you looked at Jamal Charles' situation, uh, knowing he's coming off a second uh, major knee procedure in the last five years. Uh, you know, people were like, oh, Jamal Charles, he's been touched by the hand of God. He'll be on the field, uh, you know, week one, be ready to go. And he's going to look like the vintage all pro that we're used to seeing. But where was that snake in the grass? It was just kind of hanging out. He was a quality back who had improved his hands in the offseason tremendously, had improved, improved his uh, pass protection as well. I remember watching him at LSU. I was impressed with his running skills uh, in college. So it all just came to a head, and it was a culmination of you know perfect timing, the fact that uh, Charles's knee just never got right. Uh, and then you know week one happened, and he came out with guns a-blazing, and the rest is history. So he was a guy that I own many, many shares of, and I was really excited to see him blossom early on in the season. Now, the touchdowns have been few and far between. He had the you know, two-TD game against Atlanta in week 13. Uh, but, I mean, he has definitely exceeded my wildest expectations. Spencer Ware, 27 receptions. It's conceivable that he reaches 40 receptions for this year, which would be a pleasant surprise for all of us, and that's because he has a 79.4% catch rate, top 20 catch rate. He has hands. He's smooth in the passing game, and that's huge, especially for his dynasty value when you're trying to assess what is Spencer Ware in the long run. Is he a guy that can be the primary back? 
year in, year out, not just an injury replacement. I think this year he's proven that, yes, he has a long-term future as a primary back in the NFL. So that was your big hit. What was your biggest miss? Oh, there was a lot of them. Uh, Probably my biggest... (laughs) Probably my biggest... Let's be honest. (laughs) I love it. I mean, call a spade a spade here. I love it. Uh, I mean, I got a few things right. I was down on Todd Gurley. I was down on DeAndre Hopkins. I was down on Allen Robinson uh, for various reasons. It had m- mostly to do with their environments uh, altogether. And I just thought uh, Robinson's uh, value was unsustainable from last year's, what, 14 touchdown high. Uh, the guy that I really missed on, uh, number one, C.J. Anderson. I-, I-, I thought he was going to maybe creep back into that late round one conversation this season for the Denver Broncos. Uh, of course, he's broken, but really the offensive line uh, is just a, a mess in Denver, an absolute sieve. Uh, the passing offense, very erratic in its own right, so we've seen a lot of stack boxes. I was completely wrong on him. And uh, another guy that I was really high on uh, that I was most certainly you know, wiping an egg out of my face as a result of it, Doug Martin. Now, again, Doug Martin, you could say the, the injuries uh, played a factor, sure, the hamstring, but even when he's been healthy, man, it's, it's less than three yeah, yards per carry. Not- it's not pretty. I mean, you go into week 14, and I was saying weeks ago, buy, buy, buy on Doug Martin because he was going to face not only New Orleans once in week 14, the opening round of the fantasy playoffs, but also in the title game if you're lucky enough to get there. So, But the Saints have really improved against the run with Sheldon Rankins back in uniform, giving up well south of four yards per carry the last several weeks. Uh, so it's a very deceiving matchup. And now we're hearing uh, whispers that he's going to be losing touches to Jacquez Rogers, who came out of nowhere off the street after the uh, Bears got rid of him. So... Uh, I was definitely wrong on Doug Martin and C.J. C. Anderson, probably my big, uh, biggest downfalls at either position or any position really this season. Oh, Doug Martin's the trap of the week, Brad. Oh, I agree. I agree. The bear trap of the week is absolutely Doug Martin. Negative 25.7 production premium on playerprofiler.com, which looks at all the different downs and distances that running backs face. No one has been as underwhelming in any given game situation as Doug Martin. One breakaway run all season, and he hasn't been elusive at all. 17.9%, 62nd in the league in juke rate, evaded tackles per touch. So he's back to being 2013-2014 Doug Martin, and it's very conceivable that both Jaquiz Rogers and Charles Sims outproduce Doug Martin in Week 14. If you don't believe us, just listen to the Buccaneers coaching staff. Yeah, and he's not healthy either. We, he's got some mystery ailment. Remember, he got like bent over backwards, and we thought maybe he got snapped in half, uh, like the magician. Right. Yeah. Yeah, he got the saw and got split in the middle, and and he had two different parts. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, he's, he says he's fine. He's been practicing. But as you mentioned, the coaching staff, I mean, there's some reluctance there, uh, not only because of the underperformance in terms of when he's been healthy, but because uh, he may not be 100 percent. So that's why you're going to see more Rodgers and Charles Sims, who I feel and maybe you disagree with me, is one of the most overrated, overhyped uh, running backs uh, in recent memory in fantasy. Charles Sims is a PPR back. That's what he is. But he's not like Theo Riddick. He's not as electric in space as right. as his efficiency metrics from 2015 indicated. That's what we saw when he was given the main role for a couple of games this season. The only running back that's had success has been Jaquiz Rogers. So if you have to stream a running back in a deep league, Jaquiz Rogers might be your guy. Another potential trap running back this week that I think everyone sees coming is LeGarrette Blunt. 
Oh, 10,000%. A guy that you've been starting every week, has been scoring touchdowns for you every week, but if there's going to be a week that you want to bench LeGarrette Blunt, the non-Blunt game, if Vereen was still there, it would be a Vereen game. That's this week. And that's why I like Deion Lewis this week. Do yep. you like Deion Lewis? Yeah, absolutely, because you can't run up the middle on the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, 38% of the rushing teams uh, against them this season have gone for one, zero, or negative yards. Uh, that leads the league. Uh, they've allowed the fewest fantasy points to the running back position. But they've also given up six receptions per game to the running back position. So to combat uh, you know, that uh, invincibility in the trenches, you see a lot of offensive coordinators game planning where, look, we can exploit the short field. And what team does it better than anybody else? The New England Patriots in that capacity. So uh, who's good at game planning? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know either. <laughs> But I mean, you're t- I mean, you're 100 percent right. And the thing is, he'll be Deion Lewis if you're a DFS player. Uh, he's going to be low owned if you're a season long player. He's going to be well understarted. So yeah. yeah, I could see six to eight receptions out of him. And the other thing too we can't overlook is that Deion Lewis has been getting some red zone touches. It's not like it, Garrett Blunt's been dominating in that category. Uh, you know, I watched a game a couple of weeks ago against the Jets. I think he had four red zone carries in that game. Didn't take it to the house, but he took one down to the one yard line. Then. Blunt eventually punched one in, but uh, yeah, there's some substantial upside uh, for the plucky little back for New England. We always talk about the ramp up time that's necessary after a long layoff. Well, the ramp up time's over. Last week we saw it with Ladarius Green. Ramp up time expires. He's now a full time player. What happens? Oh, over a hundred yards. Top tight end of the week. Well, Deion Lewis's ramp up time has expired. He is now going to get most of those touches in the passing game and between the tackles and in the red zone, not James White. Don't be surprised if Deion Lewis receives more touches this week than LeGarrette Blunt and James White combined. And the amazing thing about the Ravens defense, not only are they impossible to run against, They've been impossible to run against this year with the single most difficult schedule for a rushing defense. They've faced the best running games in the NFL, and still they're the top defense in terms of Fantasy Outsiders DVOA. They're not merely the top run defense. They're the top run defense by 15 points. Wow. With the most difficult schedule for a rush defense, which is beyond exceptional. And I'm doing everything in my power to not start LeGarrette Blunt, even if it means going to someone like... Uh, like a Tevin Coleman, a Mike Gillisley, a Rashad Jennings. Yes, going to someone like Tevin Coleman, who has a much higher ceiling this week than yep. LeGarrette Blunt does. Now, when we look at these running backs... Sometimes, and we talked earlier about predictions over the summer, you didn't like TJ Yeldon. Other analysts were <laughs> railing against running backs like Jeremy Langford. The running back bust that the savvy analysts saw coming, who do you think is going to be 2017's bust running back that the savvy analysts like you see where the casual observers are expecting a breakout? I think Matt Forte, you could rope into that conversation due to the advanced age. I mean, he's still producing at a, at a very high level, uh, despite being on the wrong side of 30. But eventually, Father Time's going to catch up to you. Same with like Frank Gore, but Frank Gore is going to be discounted. Like an up-and-comer, like a Jay Ajayi. Yeah, Jay Ajayi is, uh, is a guy that I think a lot of people are going to be investing heavily in. But as we've seen here the last uh, four games or so, 
I mean, he's he's been running in quicksand. Um, you know, on a on a per touch basis, he's actually been pretty good. But it's yes. all about the offensive line. It's about the environment. Can you trust Ryan Tannehill to take that next step? Can they fix the offensive line issues uh, that you know they're suffering from right now? And a lot of that has to do with injury because midseason. I mean, he was he was joining the likes of O.J. Simpson and Earl Campbell and Ricky Williams with the back to back two hundred yard games when everything was clicking, when everything was healthy in Miami. So you know, I think there's a lot of potential there for J.H.I. Uh, but there are some guys that are going to be considered brand names that, you know, I'm going to look at the offseason moves. Uh, I'm going to look and see the environments overall. Who's going to be that next Todd Gurley? A guy that may be insanely talented, right. but is thrust into a dire straits situation, right? And is going to take a, a, a backward step. I don't know if we have the answer to that right now because there's always so many moving parts in the offseason. Uh, but I'm not, I'm not seeing a drop off from David Johnson. It's not going to be David Johnson. Tell you that right now. <laughs> I don't think it's going to be Melvin Gordon either. And I think what a lot of analysts are going to do is they're going to look at Melvin Gordon and say, oh, look at that 3.9 yards per carry. Yuck. I want nothing to do with him. But he's got a ton of breakaway runs this season. And the reason why his yards per carry is so low is it's everything about volume, right? I mean, he's getting the ball 20, 25 times a game. It's a war of attrition in the trenches. And you're going to have a lot of zero, one, two-yard runs. Question for you. Yeah. When you take a handoff on first and goal from the one-yard line, What's the most yards you can get on that particular carry? <laughs> well, one. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and sometimes it may take you three attempts to get in there. So that's going to lower that number even more. He gets lots of goal line carries. Yeah, I'm not I'm not worried about Melvin Gordon. Um, you know, and it, there's always uh, a lot of interest around the NFL draft. And, you know, where is uh, a guy like Leonard Fournette going to wind up? Who's a uh, plate of nachos is he going to pee in? Because it could be a, a high-level talent, and he comes in, and he's the main man now. Or a Christian McCaffrey who could work in lockstep with a power back. I mean, it, there's right. a lot of moving parts. So We're almost there, Brad. We're almost there. I know. I'll determine that. We're a month away from the speculative pieces oh, about where certain running backs might go and how that would hypothetically hurt the fantasy stock of the incumbent running back should that incumbent running back's team draft the running back in this hypothetical scenario. We're only a month away from those articles, Brad. I can't wait. I, I'm glad I'm glad you can't wait because this is why I take a step back and I cover another sport. <laughs> yes, <laughs> because yes. I, I don't I don't want to hear the nonsense. I don't care until the NFL draft happens and yes. then once it you know commences in May, then it's all systems go. Then we can actually make those leaps of faith in regards to all right, uh, this player we're gonna belittle, we're gonna reduce his value, or this player we're gonna raise up a few notches. I got to let it simmer, man. I just can't go jumping into that fray right after the end of the regular season. I can already see these articles being written dismissing Devontae Booker. That's the one that comes to mind for me. And I think that... Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I think that his offensive line betrayed him. I think his quarterback betrayed him. And I think he was in a situation like Todd Gurley this year where there were a lot of external forces working against him. Whereas if you take a step back and you look at who Devontae Booker was in college, this was an every-down, all-purpose stud who's great in all phases. So I, th I think that some, even in the analytics community, will do our job for us holding down the value of Devontae Booker this offseason. He's a guy that I still like. He hasn't been performing well. No one's saying he's playing well. I never said he's playing well. I can still like a guy if he's not playing well. I'm allowed to like a guy even if he's not playing well. There was a guy for years 
who performed well enough, but I didn't like. And then in this offseason, I called him a fake bell cow. And then, <laughs> as it turned out, he was grossly overdrafted in the late first, early second round, and that's Lamar Miller. Yeah. Do you think Lamar Miller's a fake bell cow at this point? Yeah, because I, I bought in the narrative that uh, he could be a 2,000 combined yard, uh, double-digit touchdown back, and he just has not lived up to it. Uh, you know, I liked a lot of the secondary metrics that he had, but uh, a guy that had a lot of nicks and scrapes in Miami on a limited workload, and now we're seeing those problems uh, you know, bubble to the surface again. Uh, I mean, he's still dealt with myriad injuries, uh, whether it's an ankle, now a rib, he had a shoulder ailment a couple of weeks ago, so... Yeah, I could buy into the fact that, uh, you know, he's not producing a whole lot of milk as that bell cow or <laughs> fake bell cow, if you will. He's, a fake bell more cow. For, he's more for the lactose intolerant. <laughs> I love, he is. He's a soy milk cow. Yes. Lamar yeah, Miller, soy milk. milk cow. I like to bring up Lamar Miller because it's always an excuse for me to talk about Jonathan Grimes because I can remember week 17 of 2013 when Jonathan Grimes posted 17 fantasy points and he was a DFS stud that week after every other running back on the Houston Texans roster was hurt. He predates Bill O'Brien. Bill O'Brien has never appreciated Jonathan Grimes. And when he finally gets an opportunity last week, what does he do? He vastly outperforms Lamar Miller on a per-touch basis. And when you're watching the games, you're like, wow, this guy, this guy has juice. Right. This guy's hard to tackle. That's amazing. He's not taking these direct shots from defenders. Who is this guy that's so nimble in the backfield? Where did they get Jonathan Grimes? He's been there all along. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, that's kind of the it's the Charles Sims syndrome. That's how I look at it. Uh, you know, another guy that, you know, we brought up earlier on in, in this episode that uh, the numbers look good. And then you watch the game tape and you're like, oh, my God, he's Frankenstein with the football. Yet he's easily you know, undercut because uh, he's so upright. It takes forever for him to build up enough momentum. And I just, you know, he's, he's good in the open field. But between the tackles, a soft soft runner real quick I do agree with you on Devonte Booker uh I think Booker's gonna be one of those guys you're probably gonna get in like maybe round nine round 10 of an average draft next year I assume that you know maybe CJ Anderson's gonna be back in the mix but I think Booker is a superior back at this point I think the offensive line is gonna get remedied uh this offseason because it has to it's only got one direction to go and we cannot forget that I I truly believe that Tony Romo is gonna be a Denver Bronco game one of uh 2017 oh, and if that happens, uh, then you actually have a viable passing attack. That's what we want. We want more red zone touches for Devontae Booker, and Tony Romo would help to make that happen. I think another running back who's going to be undervalued in 2017 is going to be C.J. Proceis because we're already seeing the Thomas Rawls zealots come out from the hedges. It's like the walking dead where you're just walking down the street and you're whistling and it's just all the people are dead and you can finally have peace. <laughs> and this isn't even that bad, man. This isn't bad at all. No one's bothering me. There's no more crowds. And then all of a sudden, things start coming out of the hedges down the driveways at you and you're like oh wow this is the apocalypse shit this sucks that's the feeling that i have seeing all those that were so enthusiastic about thomas rawls come out from their hiding spots in week 13 and my first thought was oh wow oh wow you all need to gather together in a herd and you'll become very loud and that will depress cj proceis's 
ADP next year. Let's go. Come on, everybody. I start banging pots and pans. Thomas Rawls! Thomas Rawls! Thomas Rawls! I don't even know what my question is. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I'm with you on CJ Procise. Uh, very uh, interesting product for sure. A guy that he needs to learn how to run in the NFL. He's too upright uh, for that. His pad level is awful. Uh, but, you know, he's a guy that was... Uh, recruited as a defensive back and then transitioned to wide receiver at Notre Dame. And then he was a Dexie's midnight runner, a come on Eileen one hit wonder running back uh, for the fighting Irish. And, you know, he produced and did a, a great job. 6.6 yards per carry last year for the Irish. Yeah, a very unique skill set. And in this day and age, the NFL, where multidimensionality is coveted, uh, he's a player that is kind of like a Christian McCaffrey. He can do a little bit of everything. So, uh, yeah, I'm fascinated by him for sure. If you were starting a franchise today, forget fantasy. Let's say you were starting a franchise today. Would you rather have C.J. Procise for the reasons you just outlined, or would you draft Thomas Rawls? I would probably go Thomas Rawls because the way that the game is trending right now, it's the Zeke Elliott effect, right? What is old is new again in the NFL. That's how it always is. It's a cyclical league. So for the last five, six seasons, we've seen epic, prolific passing attacks where it's shattered records. But I think you're seeing with the success of the Cowboys, uh, an Elliott and a strong offensive line, it's getting back to that old school smash mouth, we're going to run it down your throat mentality. And I think there are going to be a lot of GMs that are going to try to uh, copycat that, emulate it in some way. So players like a Leonard Fournette, players like a Thomas Rawls, who can do a little bit of everything but are really tough between the tackles, are going to be highly sought after. So I think that's the direction that we're going. And for that reason, that's why I would invest in a Rawls more so than a Procise. And maybe Kenneth Dixon fits that mold as well. Well, he's kind of in that Devontae Booker, you know, uh, of class of, of running back. I mean, the, the numbers are, are better than Booker. I mean, he's averaging four and a half yards per carry. But we, Terrence West is just a guy. There's nothing special about Terrence West. He's just a dude guy. So, and I think that just a dude guy. And I, I think uh, the coaching staff, I think Harbaugh knows that. And I think what you're going to see and what we're already seeing is that there's an uptick in the opportunity share for Dixon. He's getting more touches, getting more run. He's doing a lot with those opportunities, not by the end zone. But I think next year you want to talk about a bell cow that's actually producing lactose. It's going to be Dixon and, you know, your soy milk cow in this case would be Terrence West. So that's a guy that I think is going to go in the middle rounds that will be vastly underrated. Kenneth Dixon, whole milk, no 2%, no skim, whole milk from Kenneth Dixon next year. (laughs) A lot of vitamin D, baby. Extra vitamin D with Kenneth Dixon. You talked about the trends in real NFL general management. In fantasy, the trend the last couple of years, zero RB. Yeah. But now with the Ezekiel Elliott's and the David Johnson's being the most valuable fantasy assets in 2016, have we seen peak zero RB popularity and is it over? Will it be replaced by a new en vogue draft concept this coming year? I think round one is uh, is going to be RB heavy. So the running okay. theory is what I always call it, uh, is going to be back and in, in, in vogue. It's going to be the popular strategy for next season. But there are going to be people that are zealots for zero RB. Uh, and they're going to champion the cause every year because they're landing the likes of the Spencer Wares. They're getting the LeGarrette Blunts. These guys that you got the double-digit rounds. Jordan Howard. Jordan Howard. You know, that these are guys that are, you know, top 12 running backs right now on a per-game basis. Uh, you know, you could even wait it on DeMarco Murray. DeMarco Murray I got in like round four, round five of many drafts. So 
it's conceivable you could still go wide receiver, wide receiver, you know, maybe even quarterback or wide receiver, wide receiver, tight end or whatever in those first three rounds and score a, a, a useful quality RB1 in the middle rounds. But as I've said time and time again, I don't care what strategy you use. Uh, fantasy, the fantasy season is separated into thirds. It is one third the draft, one third pickups and trades, just general moves, and one third good fortune, luck. Luck, yes. I was, I was waiting for the luck. Well, that's the thing. It's like, you know, people don't, we don't want to use luck in the fantasy community because it offends, you know, but it really, that's what it boils down to. I think we uh, overemphasize draft night. You know, it's the hoopla, it's the camaraderie. I get all that. But in terms of what it means to the actual season and the production of your team, it's it's one third. <laughs> it really is. You could look at a handful of my redraft teams and have no idea at this point in the season what my draft concept was. Right, exactly. So my whole point is I like the zero strategy strategy. Just go in open-minded. <laughs> yes. Who yes, cares? Yes. It's all about value. If you are a zero RB zealot, you'll be pleasantly surprised with your draft in 2017 because it's going to look a lot more like your drafts from 2013 and 2014 when you were able to stack one, two, three stud wide receivers on your team and you didn't see Keenan Allen getting drafted in the late first round. Those days are gone. Thank God. Thank you. Thank you, David Johnson. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, David. Thank you for doing You're so helpful. I think we should erect a church in David Johnson's honor. Can we just uh, start a brand new religion? I was just in Arizona, and I noticed a number of these giant mega churches. Oh, there are a lot. I used to live there. There are a lot of them. Yeah, it was striking to me. Now I understand why. 10,000%. They are worshiping David Johnson. Of course, it's Arizona. Yeah, I mean, Kurt Warner as well, but uh, David Johnson's right there with him. <laughs> Course, Kurt because he's also religious. I got I, so much happening in that. That was perfect. So much going on. I love it. I was looking at the rankings because I do the rankings, and <laughs> and there are some players this week that were intriguing to me. A lot of times, what I'm most interested in is what do the experts think? How does an epic face plant like what happened to Colin Kaepernick last week? How does that impact? his perception. A lot of times I'm analyzing the perception and one player who's quite polarizing right now is Brandon Cooks. Yep. And I noticed that four of the top eight most bullish experts on Brandon Cooks on Fantasy Pros were Yahoo writers. And there was one name missing from that list of Brandon Cooks touts this week. Mm. Brad Evans. Mm. Brad Evans notably missing are you over Brandon Cooks? Uh, yeah, I am. Uh, and look, I've been bullish on him. I have uh, sung his praises for a number of years. I loved his game coming out of Oklahoma or Oregon State, excuse me. Um, same color scheme, by the way. Uh, Beaver versus Cowboy. I always want to side with the Beaver. But Brandon Cooks, the reason why I I'm not so high on him this week, a couple of, uh, uh, of reasons. Number one, Drew Brees, his home away splits disturb me. And they're not as dramatic as Ben Roethlisberger's. But still, he's a different player outside of a domed environment. Hell, even last week, he, he, you want to talk about a giant egg. That's the one that he laid uh, for fantasy owners. I had a lot of DFS shares in him, and it really didn't pan out for me. So thank you very much, Drew Brees, for that uh, horrific effort. So that's number one. He's allowed! He's allowed to have a bad game? That happens! No, he's not. No, he's not. He walks on water in my world. <laughs> he's not allowed. He also owns Jimmy John's stores, and I like their sandwiches. So, you know, there are a lot of reasons why I like Drew Brees. I didn't know that. 
Um, but he, you look at Brandon Cook's game log, and he's only been over 75 yards in a contest three times this year. So it, it's a lot of nickel and diming, right? And, and then you look at the matchup. Who's he going to line up most against in this contest? And more than likely, it's going to be Brent Grimes. Now, we all remember Brent Grimes back in August, uh, the player that got burned not once but twice by Josh Gordon in an exhibition game, just embarrassed. And a lot of people, I think that stained the brain. Like, Brent Grimes is trash. And he's had some bad years recently, but he's playing well this season. He's given up a 48.9 catch rate, according to Player Profiler. Uh, and this Tampa defense as a whole is ascending. So you put it all together. I got him down for six catches, 68 yards, and no touchdown. So for that reason, I have him ranked as a very back-end wide receiver three. With the exception of a PPR league, I'd move him up just a little bit more if it's full point. But I think he's going to underwhelm and underwhelm massively. We have cornerback rankings new to playerprofiler.com. Go to playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings. We have Brent Grimes as our number five cornerback because that's what the data is telling us. He's allowing less than 50% of the passes thrown in his direction to be completed and only 8.4 fantasy points allowed per game. That's impressive because he's their main guy. Every week he's matching up with the other team's best playmaker and to allow less than 10 fantasy points per game, that's impressive. I don't know how these older cornerbacks like Brent Grimes, like Terrence Newman are continuing to perform at this level, but they are. They are. I can't explain it, and that's fine. All I have is the data, and the data is telling us that Brent Grimes is an exceptional cornerback this year, and that's all we can go on. So I agree with you. I do not have Brandon Cooks as a WR1 this week. If I'm going to play any wide receiver on the New Orleans Saints, it's going to be Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas. Yes! Not Brandon Cooks. Another rookie wide receiver I love, not as much as Michael Thomas. It's not possible. It's Malcolm Mitchell. Mm -hmm. I mentioned the rankings. There's one particular fantasy writer that has Malcolm Mitchell ranked six slots ahead of any other fantasy analyst on Fantasy Pros. That fantasy writer's name is... Andy Barron's. Brad Evans. <laughs> no, no, it's me. It's me. Brad Evans loves Malcolm Mitchell, and so do I. Talk to us about Malcolm Mitchell. Well, it's all about the trends. And again, this is remember we uh, talked about earlier in the program, whitewashing names and, and ignoring uh, the, the brand name overall. I mean, Malcolm Mitchell is a guy that uh, is generic. He's uh, you know kind of the black and white canned uh, beer. It just says beer on the front. That's all it is. If you taste it, it'll be good in a pinch. And, and I think that's exactly what he is. I mean, you look at the last three weeks, uh, 22 targets, 17 receptions, 222 yards receiving, three touchdowns. Most importantly, the four red zone targets really stand out. He's coming off a 10-target game. He had eight catches against Los Angeles. Uh, a guy that's got Mickey mouse size mitts. And if you're not familiar with Mickey Mouse's hands, they're massive. I mean, it's disturbing. Uh, you know what they say about big hands, so good for Mickey. Uh, but Malcolm Mitzel... <laughs> Malcolm Mitchell, you look at the Baltimore Ravens, they're middle of the pack and fantasy points allowed at the wide receiver position. But Tavon Young, a guy that I think he's going to see more often than not in coverage, giving up a 90-plus passer rating with his assignments. Uh, so working opposite of Jimmy Smith, and it's Tom Brady, Hall of Fame quarterback, still you know playing at a high level. You, you put all the components together, 
and I got him down for a very modest five for 65 and a touchdown. And I would not be surprised if he goes over 80 with a score. And that's why I'm justifying my top 20 ranking on him overall. He's not a special downfield explosive talent. 8.6 yards per target, 13.2 yards per reception. It's in that 40 to 50 zone of NFL wide receivers. He's your prototypical NFL flanker. He's not going to be the split-end ex-receiver of the future for the Patriots. He's going to take over Julian Edelman's role for the Patriots. He's not going to be the next Randy Moss by any means, but in the Patriots' offense that keys on what's happening on the right side of the field between that slot receiver and the flanker, always the first read going to that crossing pattern between Edelman and Mitchell. Brady's just always looking in Malcolm Mitchell's direction early in the progression, and that's why the targets are over five whenever he sees significant snaps and targets leads to fantasy points. What do we always talk about? If you want to key on one thing, follow the targets when you're setting up your projections for that week. So I love Malcolm Mitchell this week, just like you do. My generic-ish tout of the week, the guy that wasn't thought to be anything special heading into 2016, is Taylor Gabriel. Mm, I love that pick. I am angry at myself. If I had to go back in time, if I had a time machine, if I had a take time machine, Brad, Mm -hmm. if we could somehow consolidate our collective ingenuity and create a take time machine and go back in time, I would love to give Taylor Gabriel more thought. Because if I had thought more about what Taylor Gabriel could be moving from the Browns offense to the Falcons offense on a soft depth chart, I believe I would have touted him if I just had the spark. Someone just sliding a note to me with just the name Taylor Gabriel. Just look at Taylor Gabriel. Check out Taylor Gabriel. Give Taylor Gabriel a chance. Look at his page on playerprofiler.com for five seconds and do with it what you wish, I believe I would have had the aha moment that Taylor Gabriel could very easily surpass Mohamed Sanu and be the secondary playmaker in that passing game. And as a secondary playmaker for the Falcons offense, this is a player with true breakout potential. And when people think of Taylor Gabriel, they just think of a cardboard cutout generic wide receiver. But he runs a 4-4-5-40. He has a 130.5, 88th percentile burst score, above average agility score. So this is a well above average explosive athlete who's thrust into a situation where he's absorbing all the non Julio Jones targets down the field. And it's no surprise that when you look at his game log, it's nothing but double digit performances. And now this week, Mohamed Sanu is looking doubtful. So he is going to be the entrenched number two option for Matt Ryan playing against the Rams who are top five in the league and fantasy points allowed to opposing wide receivers. (gasps) Pinch me. I have Taylor Gabriel. Wait for it. Wait for it. Wait for it. In my top 25 wide receivers for week 14. Yeah, I got him as a wide receiver three uh, this week as well. I could see a touchdown for sure. I I agree with uh, everything that you said there. Uh, Again, this is going to be a Tevin Coleman and also a Taylor Gabriel game, in my opinion. I think you're going to see a lot of design screens. Uh, I think you're going to see a lot of uh, quick slants across the middle to Gabriel and also to Coleman. Uh, I'm not so high on Devontae Freeman as much. I know he's got four touchdowns the last couple of games. The Rams have been uh, relatively soft against the run, but 
Uh, I just got a gut feeling this is going to be Coleman and Gabriel. Those are the only two guys you can really trust in this offense. With Julio Jones banged up, could be more of a decoy. Still going to draw some coverage to his side when he's on the field. So that can only benefit the short field tosses to Gabriel and Coleman. So I'm with you, man. Uh, I could definitely see, you know, a five-catch, 65-75-yard, uh, to one-touchdown game, and a lot of that action coming on screen plays, which Gabriel has excelled in this season. Watch him play, and he looks electric. He really does. It's amazing how different a player can look in a different environment. You take him off grass, put him on turf, you switch his quarterback from some combination of Brandon Whedon and Josh McCown to Matt Ryan, and suddenly he looks like one of the league's explosive playmakers. He looks like a poor man's Tyreek Hill when you watch him play, which is a huge compliment because Tyreek Hill is completely electric. Tyreek Hill is as if a a loose electrical wire has been left on the surface of the football field. We have a DFS lineup genius on playerprofiler.com. 10 suggested GPP plays and Taylor Gabriel and Tevin Coleman are featured across a number of those suggested lineups this week. And this takes me to the tight end position. I suck. I just suck. I just suck. I could I could find some other word. You know, I underwhelm. I find tight ends to be challenging. I've missed expectations this year, Brad Evans, when it comes to my tight end projections. No, no, I suck at finding sleeper tight ends i'm at the point if you look across my teams scott fishbowl the friends of roto world league my home league who's my tight end jermaine gresham oh help me brad who are you monitoring at the tight end position oh i got three guys let's go with the obvious one first ladarius green everybody's on the bandwagon this week i'm down on roethlisberger but clearly he's a guy you know coming off 11 targets six catch 100 plus yards and a touchdown uh, we, we, we've seen this product flourish before with the San Diego Chargers. He could step, definitely step in and be a viable commodity, though the Bills giving up just 52.2 yards per game in the tight end position. Next step down, if we go a little bit deeper, Lance Kendricks. Uh, I like him quite a bit this week because one of the areas defensively Atlanta struggles is defending the middle of the field. Uh, giving up 5.8 receptions per game, 65 yards per game to the tight end position. Kendricks, uh, young and experienced green quarterback, and Jared Goff could be some uh, catch-up garbage time appeal there uh, in uh, the City of Angels. So I like him for maybe 50 yards and a touchdown. And then going crazy deep, guy, it's almost universally available that I could uh, see having a sneaky good game as Will Ty of the New York Giants. <sighs> Uh, and the reason I like Will Ty, uh, Dallas, another one of those teams that's really struggled over the middle of the field, giving up 67 yards per game in the tight end position. Targets necessarily haven't been there for Ty on the season. He's got the one touchdown, but I mean, maybe he musters six to eight looks this week and gets you a four for 40 and a touchdown. So, but that's, I mean, that's a dregs of the keg there. That would kill me. Will Ty? <laughs> That would kill me. That would kill me because that's the guy I had. That's the guy I was starting for many weeks was Will Ty. For me to drop Will Ty and stream Jermaine Gresham in the week that Will Ty finally breaks out, I mean, that would break me, Brad Evans. That would break me. That would be the final schism, my break with reality. That's when you would suddenly see me on Periscope in a bathrobe, wandering around my house, muttering to myself, drinking milk directly from the carton. That would break me. Will Ty breaking out this week 
would break me. And that's what the tight end position can do. It's so volatile and unpredictable every week. If I had my take time machine, if I had my fantasy draft time machine, I would just go back and make my life easy and just draft Travis Kelsey everywhere. I wish I could have done that. Is Travis Kelsey the heir to Gronk's throne as the tight end cheat code? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you look at the offense, it's it's very conservative, and that's not going to really change in a Brad Childress and uh, Andy Reid as long as they're manning the ship there for the Kansas City Chiefs. So you're going to see a lot of design tight end screens. Uh, he's an electric player downfield as well, can certainly climb the ladder, a kind of a almost a basketball player and, you know, playing tight end, which is, you know, all the rage in the NFL nowadays. So uh, can it continue? Yes. Uh, I think Travis Kelsey will probably be the most coveted tight end in drafts next season, uh, just because we have so much uncertainty with Jordan Reed and his uh, sustainability for health. Same with Gronk, obviously. Delaney Walker's in that conversation uh, because he has such a, an, a rapport. It's really an unbreakable bond right now with Marcus Mariota. And by the way, I think those two against the Denver Broncos with Brandon Marshall out defending the middle of the field for uh, for Denver, they're going to do hell of damage this week. Let's solidify that. I'm with you. I agree with you. Delaney Walker is absolutely the contrarian tight end play in DFS this week. He's got to rip it up. I can guarantee you he's got to have at least 70 yards and probably a touchdown. And for those reasons, I'm not sitting Mariota either. You know, everybody's like, you got to It's doom and gloom with Marcus Mariota. It's a no-fly zone. Only two quarterbacks. You're playing Mariota? I'm playing Mariota, and here's the reason why. Only two quarterbacks have gone over uh, 16 fantasy points against this Broncos defense this season. Look, I live in Denver. I watch every game. I know this team extraordinarily well. It's uh, Cam Newton and Drew Brees, but I think he can put up similar numbers as Cam Newton, like a buck 90 through the air, one of those touchdowns to Delaney Walker, and then I think it's going to be a lot of ground and pound with DeMarco Murray, Derrick Henry, and also Mariota. Maybe some design screens. Yeah, and some read option as well. Uh, and the Broncos extremely vulnerable in the trenches. So I could see 50 yards and a rushing score out of Mariota. And that's why, you know, I'm in a 20-team league, and I've got a couple of decent backup options on my bench that I stash, but I'm sticking with Mariota. He got me there, and I really think he's going to overachieve this week. Wow, that's – I. You want to talk about contrarian? There it is. <laughs> that's that's contrarian. <laughs> that's contrarian. I love it. We'll continue with this contrarian theme. Last question, get you out of here on this. Truther status. For which player do you qualify for truther status? Oh, God. He's old. He hasn't broken out yet, but you still see a glimmer of hope, Brad Evans. The guy that I have truther status for for this year, and he's not old. He's a rookie, but um, it's Kenneth Dixon for me. Every week I have been on television, on radio, online, saying this is the week. This is a week where it's going to be 100 combined yards and multiple touchdowns. And we haven't seen it. Uh, I'm sticking to it. Why not this week? He's at home. Why not this week? It could happen. But, you know, it gets New England giving up, what, 3.7 yards per carry? I, I don't see it. But it's certainly possible. Uh, you know, that's the guy that I just keep hanging my hat on. And I'm waiting for the breakout because the skill set. Good. is so attractive good. and I remember watching him at Louisiana Tech he's good and he reminded me of Matt Forte he's good very similar running back and what he brings to the table very good player what about a guy that you've been rostering at the bottom of your taxi squad and dynasty leagues year after year you're looking to build a case for why people should be drafting him and redraft mine's Brian Quick who's yours oh Brian Quick uh, probably Jarek McKinnon. Um, you know, again, another player yes. 
that I've fallen in love with. You know, he's a darling in the metrics community, uh, a guy that's just off the charts and a lot of measurements. But yes, you know, can he can he blame the guy for the offensive line? No, no. I I mean I can't. I mean he the offensive line Minnesota is a mess. It couldn't open a hole for a cockroach. It's the worst. It's the worst in the NFL. It's not close. Yeah, and he's a guy that I will continue to go back to that well and roster year after year and redraft. I do have him in a couple of dynasty leagues, and I'm not willing to give him up cheap. I can't because I know the potential is there, and Adrian Peterson's going to be on his way out. But, you know, a guy named Leonard Fournette, boy, he would look awfully good in a Minnesota Vikings uniform. So you're just doing it. You just you said you don't – you just you just did the thing. You just, just did, did the thing with the, the hypothetical thing that I'm, get, I'm gets me off of McKinnon. I'm gonna, again, I'm going I'm to let that simmer for the next uh, four or five months, and I'll come back to it in May. <laughs> I just, I just had a realization, though. You said McKinnon, and whenever anyone says McKinnon, it's like a dog whistle for me. I jump up in my chair, uh, <laughs> McKinnon, <laughs> and then I just realized, wait, this is a truther conversation. So it's just now occurring to me that Jarek McKinnon is entering <laughs> truther territory where those of us that still believe in him are considered truthers. I can't believe we've reached that point with Jared McKinnon. We're ending the show on a sad note with hope, with hope, sadness, with hope. Until Leonard Fournette is drafted by the Minnesota Vikings. (laughs) Come on! Why? Get out of here, Brad Evans. Pinch me. I have Taylor Gabriel. Wait for it. Wait for it. Wait for it. In my top 25 wide receivers for week 14. Up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, A, B, A, B, select, start. All the people are dead, and you can finally have peace. (laughs) And this isn't even that bad, man. This isn't bad at all. No one's bothering me. There's no more crowds. And then all of a sudden... Things start coming out of the hedges, down the driveways at you, and you're like, oh, wow, this is the apocalypse. Shit, this sucks. So that was your big hit. What was your biggest miss? Oh, there was a lot of them. Uh, Probably my biggest... If you're not familiar with Mickey Mouse's hands, they're massive. I mean, it's disturbing. Uh, You know what they say about big hands, so good for Mickey. Television executives are living in the past. Uh, They are knuckle-draggers. Uh, Neanderthals in a way because if you look at any pregame show that's not fantasy oriented uh, we must talk football in high level terms we can't break it down any way more because the people they won't understand you Jane me Tarzan I loved his game coming out of Oklahoma or Oregon State excuse me Um, same color scheme by the way Uh, Beaver versus Cowboy I always want to side with the Beaver Oh, Brian Quick. However, if you take David Johnson oh. away from Arizona. Yes. Yes. They are nothing. Yes. They are nothing. Yes. He is the most valuable player in the NFL. That's period. the answer. And he won't even get a lick of consideration. That's the answer to the MVP conversation. That's right. Damn it. 
one, two, three stud wide receivers on your team, and you didn't see Keenan Allen getting drafted in the late first round. Those days are gone. Thank God. Thank you. Thank you, David. Just thank you. <laughs> thank you, David. Thank you for doing so helpful. Up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, A, B, A, B, select, start. That would break me. That would be the final schism, my break with reality. That's when you would suddenly see me on Periscope in a bathrobe, wandering around my house, muttering to myself, drinking milk directly from the carton. That would break me. Will tie breaking out this week would break me. I'm extremely tempted to play Jared Goff over Alex Smith just because I, I got a bad feeling that he's not going to do tonight. He's going to get a dump-off touchdown, a random shovel pass touchdown to someone. You know how it goes. He's going to get points. You know, everybody's like, you got it. It's doom and gloom with Marcus Mariota. It's a no-fly zone. Only two quarterbacks. You're playing Mariota? He got me there, and I really think he's going to overachieve this week. Wow. That's... I... I... I thank you very much, Drew Brees, for that uh, horrific effort. So that's number one. He's allowed. He's allowed to have a bad game. That happens. No, he's not. No, he's not. He walks on water in my world. <laughs> he's not allowed. Oh, Brian Quick. Show that I, I co-write, I co-produce, and I created uh, on television for Altitude TV here in Denver. Our host came up with the idea, and he wanted us, uh, it, it's called Out of Character. So what this show entailed was we're going to pick three premier players that people normally play in their fantasy lineups who could be out of sorts, out of their usual element. But the way that he wanted to qualify it is we had to use a character to describe that person's situation. For example, uh, Ben Roethlisberger, he goes, I want you to talk like a Southern waitress. So that's what I did. And the first one was drunk T.Y. Hilton. So I had to imagine I was T.Y. Hilton hammered out of my mind. It was crazy. It was fun. And whenever anyone says McKinnon, it's like a dog whistle for me. I jump up in my chair. Uh, <laughs> McKinnon. <laughs> Everything for me tends to evolve in a Mrs. Doubtfire for some reason. Jay Ajayi, I backward engineer takes on Jay Ajayi to jam them into shows. <laughs> that fantasy writer's name is Andy Barrett. Brad Evans. And my Irish accent's just awful. Like I could do "Kiss Me, Blarney Stone," and then it some it, sometimes it becomes like a pirate voice. I'm already drunk because it's Tequila Thursday, and I've been drinking. Since 8 a.m., I uh, had a bowl of Wheaties, and instead of milk, I just poured some Mexican love juice on top of it. It was delicious. The offensive line, man, is so a mess. It couldn't open a hole for a cockroach. When you're in it, like you and I are in it, it just feels so f***ing slow. <laughs> it's a slog. Oh, I love you, Matt Kelly. And I got to do a uh, Facebook Live hit, and then I've got two radio hits uh, to do immediately after that. And then tequila. I got to numb the nerves, man. I, I I can't trust Alex Smith. I can't, can I? I can't trust Alex Smith. Oh, I'm doing it. Oh, who's good at game planning? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know either. Kenneth Dixon, whole milk, no 2%, no skim, whole milk from Kenneth Dixon next year. <laughs> A lot of vitamin D, baby. Extra vitamin D with Kenneth Dixon.
Up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, A, B, A, B, select, start. Who is this guy that's so nimble in the backfield? Where did they get Jonathan Grimes? He's been there all along! Sorry. I always want to side with the beaver.